Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. We do appreciate that you've invited us into your homes, and I am Doris Hansen, your host for the program. I'd like to mention that we did have a support group meeting last Monday night, and it was an awesome meeting. We had good uh, uh, people to show up, a lot of people. Uh, we had a good conversation, good discussions. We had people from the FLDS, people from the Kingston and the All Red groups. We had older people, younger people, middle people. And it was just a wonderful time that we had together. And we do urge those who have left either a polygamy group or the Mormon church or any false religion, uh, you need support. And we heartily recommend that you find a support group like that to attend and uh, share experiences and encouragement with each other. For those from polygamy groups who would like to join our group, you're certainly welcome to. Just email us or uh, call, leave your contact information, and we'll be happy to call you back with the information and the details. Also, I had a great visit in Brigham City Sunday. I met some uh, new faces and had some great conversation with several people, and I want to thank everyone there who welcomed me so graciously. I met a very sweet couple, an older couple, who are currently LDS, but they do have some questions. And one question that they had that truly bothers many people who are doubting the Mormon faith is the pre-existence. We talked about that for some time. The idea is very difficult for them to get rid of, yet it isn't true. It's a Mormon myth. The Bible does not teach that there's a mommy and daddy in heaven having spirit babies. The Bible doesn't teach that there are spirits waiting in heaven to get uh, earthly mortal bodies. The Bible doesn't teach that Jesus and Lucifer are brothers and had different plans of salvation and that someone named Elohim chose Jesus' plan for salvation. The Bible does not teach that there was a war in heaven where the valiant won and so were able to get bodies and those that weren't so valiant were born with dark skin which is what the Mormon church teaches. All these are Mormon myths. They are not biblical truths. God knows how it all happened. Joseph Smith didn't know. God knows and told us how it happened in the Bible. But then Joseph Smith comes along and he changes God's truth into a lie. And instead of checking it out, millions will die believing those myths. Don't stake your eternity on these myths. It's your eternity. And you need to check these things out rather than just taking someone else's word for it. Whether they're a prophet or not, you need to check it out. The week of July 24th is when Mormons and polygamists commemorate their annual Pioneer Day celebration. The Mormons hold all kinds of festivities and parades, and they do reenactments of historical Mormon events. One of these reenactments is the handcart trek that serves to immortalize the tragedy of the hundreds of people who needlessly died during their journey west, not in the safety of covered wagons, but by pushing flimsy handcarts. Like most other Mormon stories, they have turned the truth of this avoidable tragedy into a mythology, and then they almost worship this self-made myth. 
Tonight we're going to discuss the true story of the Mormon handcart fiasco. We'll present the facts of what really happened and why it happened according to early Mormon historical accounts and personal journals. Now, you might ask, well, what does this have to do with polygamy? On February 9th, we presented a timeline of Mormon polygamy where we discovered that the overseas Mormon missionaries and official church publications repeatedly denied that they practiced polygamy. Many immigrants recorded in their own personal accounts that had they known that polygamy was in reality part of Mormon practice and doctrine, they would never have left their European homes and come to Mormon Zion. Most of the people who died in the handcart disaster were immigrants out of the Europe, and they would not have been part of those handcart companies if the Mormon missionaries and church leadership had been truthful and had not deceived them about polygamy. To take part in this discussion is our returning guest, a former Mormon who loves to uncover the true history of Mormonism and Mormon polygamy. I'd like to introduce and welcome back our guest, True Ott. Thank you, Doris. Um, it's a pleasure and privilege to be with you again today. This story is, is so amazing when you really see the big picture. It is. Uh, and I, and I just, uh, I'm so happy that the truth is coming out by, again, investigative journalists, reporters, authors. We're going to talk today about and give, basically give a book review of this uh, recent book called Devil's Gate, Brigham Young. And the Great Mormon Handcar Tragedy is the name of the book. We'll, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll show it on the screen here in a few minutes. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, what is great about the author's work, his name is David Roberts. He really uh, went deep into pulling the, as you said, the, the journals, the actual history. Mm -hmm. the, the story comes out in graphic detail. And, and it needs to be said that, you know, the, the two disastrous companies were mm -hmm. the Willie and Martin and companies. Martin and right. he brings out the point that the Donner Party lost 40-something uh, members, um, the exact uh, number is 47, I believe. There's 247 victims that he counted in these two in companies. These, and you know, this this story, uh, this uh, what the history that we're going to cover tonight might be uh, rather difficult for people who are living in their Mormon buzzle, bubble uh, to take, you know, because this is they have not had nothing but the sanitized version from from the the Mormon worldview. But this is a blemish on Mormon history, and it was avoidable. I remember as a primary child growing up, and I won't, I don't know if I should say how old <laughs> in the sixties. You know, we'd we'd sing the the the, the primary songs, and we have the handcart songs, and especially the month of July in the summertime, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you'd sing the handcart song. And I thought that was kind of a modern thing, you know, for the kids to sing. But I found out in this book that that was the handcart song was, you know, was so much push and so much pull as mm -hmm. we go, you know, up the mm -hmm. hill. That was really what they sang as they marched along. Mm -hmm. And uh, he brings, uh, author Roberts brings this out well in the book. And then what's amazing is some of the journals, there, there was a lot of shall we say, uh, tongue-in-cheek acrimony mm -hmm. about that yeah, song because, yeah. it, you know, it, yeah. it, it, years later it was 
not a good memory. For it them. was not a good memory at all. And that well, let's start with kind of the beginning with the immigrants. Um, the handcart companies, uh, at least the two that we're talking about, because there were others besides these two, that but they were mostly the immigrants from Europe, mostly English who didn't know that there was polygamy in Mormon Zion. Now, they had heard rumbles of it, but it was continuously denied, so they didn't know it was was actually going on. What difference would it made, uh, do you think, or with the immigrants, if they had known that Mormons were really practicing polygamy? There's a huge difference. Uh, some of the, the central characters of his book, it talks about Patience Loader and, and her family. They'd heard these, these rumors, they thought, uh, in, in England about uh, the Mormons being looking for wives and go, you know, it's all about having multiple wives, etc., etc. But they went to their church authorities there in the mission in, in, in England. The publication that was officially, that was called the Millennial Star, mm -hmm. and you showed this very well in your timeline, they, they had article after article saying this is all anti-Mormon rhetoric. It was lies by the, the adversary trying to discredit Joseph Smith. All mm -hmm. a pack of lies. Right. Uh, discrediting it completely. And the picture that was painted to these... There was a lot of romance here, okay? Here you're in an old country of England and the new world and unlimited possibilities is being painted. A new religion. God has, has spoken to man again. It's on the American continent. Come to Zion. Right. Come to Zion. Right. Was, 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 you know, it's not good enough to sit here and be a Mormon in, in, in England. You've got to come to Zion, come to Utah. And so it was a very rosy picture painted. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. that, uh, and, 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 and there was a lot of, of wealthy English people, but mm -hmm. mostly, mostly it was the downtrodden peasant class, the working class, nothing wrong with that at all, but you see, they knew that they didn't have much future there in England, mm -hmm. and the idea of coming to a new opportunity was just the utmost, ro utmost romance to them. Mm -hmm. And so, when you answer, to answer that question, if they had been told the complete and total truth, first of all, they probably wouldn't have even joined they the church. They wouldn't have joined. And secondly, they surely wouldn't have sold everything that they had mm -hmm. to go to Zion and and rely on promises made by... Promises made by <laughs> trusting people, supposedly. Trusting the promises of their travel agent. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, I have a quote here from Fanny Stenhouse in a book, Tell It All. She gives the story of, right. of, of the handcart disaster, page 103. And she said, although polygamy was utterly denied by the missionaries in Europe, Joseph Smith always denied it in public. And after his death, the leaders of the church followed his example. In some way, however, an idea had got abroad that the Mormons were somewhat unsound respecting the marriage question. Still, the elders stoutly denied the charge. At a public discussion in France, the Apostle John Taylor, in reply to the accusations of polygamy, which were brought against him, flatly denied the accusations, end quote. And at the time that he denied that, he uh, had from somewhere between 8 and 11 wives himself. But it's okay, so Doris. So it was a blatant lie that It's okay to lie for the Lord, though. You got to understand in their philosophy. Then that's exactly that's right. That's what they were doing. They mm -hmm. they think well, what they don't know can't hurt them. Now here's here's the untold story, the warts and all about what was promised these these emigrants. There was something called a perpetual emigration fund, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. PEF. Mm -hmm. 
this was established kind of like the United Order uh, directives. Those that have a lot of money, they can, they can sell what they have and give it to this PEF, administrative fund, to help pay the way for those that are less mm -hmm. fortunate right. and penniless, right. etc. And uh, the, 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 the promises made were, you know, they would pool their resources, whatever was missing, the church in Salt Lake City, Brigham Young, the administrator, would, would finance their, you know, whatever their they were in the shortfall. Expenses, yeah. So you're, we're talking about uh, a trip uh, on, an, on an ocean, you know, a, a, a sailing vessel uh, to New York. There they would gather their, what they had and, and, and jump a train. And that time the train tracks went as far as Florence, Iowa. And that's the end of the road. Mm -hmm. At Florence, Iowa, you, you're, you've got to be ready to hit the trail overland. Right. And we're talking, it's hard to imagine, Doris, 1,300 miles yeah. on a buckboard with, a mule, with mules and oxen is bad enough. That's what they were expecting, though. That's what they were expecting. That's, that's what they paid for. That's what they paid for. Mm -hmm. They had no idea that when they got to the end of the road, and again, keep in mind, put yourself in their position. You've, you've sold everything. There ain't no going there's, back. There's no turning back. <laughs> the ships are mm -hmm. burnt. You're at the end of the tracks. Everything you have, you're, all of your hopes are pinned on this promise. Right. You get to the end of the tracks, and there's no, there's no there's nothing wagon there. or there's ox. There's nothing there. In fact, there's not even a handcart because they had to make them themselves. They, they had a two- to three-week delay while they made these out of green wood. There wasn't even that waiting for them. Right. Now, many of them, before they even got on the ship, signed a contract with the PEF. They, many of them didn't read the fine print, I bet. Or was the fine print there? Well, yeah, there's, there's contracts there to show, but, but the administrators of the PEF charged 10% interest, usury, mm -hmm. at a time where you were lucky to get a dollar a day in wages in, in that period of America. So the fact is, and this is what uh, David Roberts shows in his book, Devil's Gate, many of the, the poorer saints, as they came, they spent their entire life working as indentured servants to, bring to pay young, to this pay off. Back. And Annie Liza Young tells about this also in her book, In Wife Number 19. And her father was a, as a, was a woodworkman. He was a, a carpenter, and, and he did a lot of work for the Mormon Church and for Brigham Young in the, the building industry because of wood. And she says, uh, she writes on page 200 of her book, uh, that in the history of any people, there has never been recorded a case of such gross mismanagement of that, of that of the migration of the foreigners to Salt Lake City in 1856. Until this disastrous year, the immigrants had always made the journey across the plains with ox teams under the charge of some of the elders. She goes on to say that the journey itself wasn't dangerous when it was made with the proper provisions, a covered wagon, strong teams, that the trip was tiring and seemingly endless, but not dangerous like the handcart journeys were. She's right on point. Anne Eliza Young is telling it like it is. You know, this is, you know, if, if you want to celebrate Pioneer Day and reenact the, the handcarts, fine, but let's tell the truth about it. Let's tell the whole story about it. That's, that's what I'm what I'm here on the why I'm here on the show tonight for Doris because there's there's so many misconceptions with it the the death and destruction of that and and the sad thing is 
it's absolutely didn't need to happen. No, it didn't. It, it, it didn't. The, the, the PEF, the Perpetual Immigration Fund, had the money for the wagons and the ox team. But see, an, a wagon team, an ox or mules, do the math back then. At the end of, end of that, uh, the, the tracks, the railroad tracks, cost $300 to outfit a family versus $15 for a handcart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why, that's why Brigham Young did it. It's, it's all about money, yeah. saving money here. Yeah, that's exactly why I did it. And they wanted, to, they wanted better wood, they wanted iron to go around the wheels, mm-hmm. and Brigham Young said, no, that's too much money, so they put leather instead. Of course, the leather the didn't, leather didn't, didn't last. But back to the, the usury, I, I find that interesting because from the, from the beginning, they called the new early Mormon church, they called them Israel. Of course, they weren't Israel. They weren't in any way, shape, or form uh, like Israel of the Old Testament. But if they were Israel, then they should have abided by the laws that God gave Israel. And in Exodus twenty-two twenty-five, he said, If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a moneylender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. And yet Brigham Young's bank account didn't know anything about that command, did it? Well, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the, 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 the main point here. You don't profit off of, uh, off of this, this money being off lent of out. Off the disaster. That Especially it's not. And uh, it's very, very clear, again, in the historical record, put out by uh, David Roberts. I think it's a very objectively done book where he, he said that was the big, even among uh, good, the Mormons that are already in Salt Lake, when they got wind of that, there was a lot of talking about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of Mormons were upset about it. And today, I, I submit if you understood, you know, charging 10% to these poor people, oh golly, it's not, it's, what did Jesus throw the moneylenders out of the temple for? Exactly. They were charging usurious interest for the sacrificial... The religious leaders uh, yeah, were charging, absolutely. were doing the, the money. That's the only time Jesus got mad, mad in the Bible. <laughs> he was angry. He, he took he, a whip and took a whip him. and whipped him. Uh, it, it should be the same outrage here to profit off of... The gathering of Zion. But it it was premeditated, too. It was something that that Brigham Young planned to do. I think one of the the difficulties that some of them had was that Brigham Young told uh, Richards um, and some of the elders in England to tell them that this was a divine plan from God. Right. And, um, and then when the, when the first company came in that wasn't a disaster, uh, he supposedly uh, is said to have rubbed his hands together and said, this has been a successful experiment. Yeah. And there were some of the immigrants standing by listening to him say that, and they knew from that point that Brigham Young was, was a hoodwinker, not a prophet of God, because God didn't send the divine plan. It was him that did it. Well, again, in the book Devil's Gate, uh, there's eyewitness accounts, again, of not the people that came earlier in the wagons. They turned out to see the emigrants coming, the first train coming with their, their uh, handcarts, and they said there was not a dry eye anywhere. Mm. They were, everybody was weeping. Why? Why were they weeping? Because, I mean, these people were emaciated. Mm-hmm. They were in terrible shape. Mm-hmm. 
They were. I mean, well, the the most disastrous one is said that that some that those that didn't die, some of them were maimed for life because exactly. the, some of their hands were frozen off or their feet were frozen off, and and the carts had been so flimsily made. They were late starting out to start with, and they went against uh, some advice on that. But then when the carts started breaking down, they were delayed even further when they had to stop and repair the carts. And you know, I, I'm a kind of a big guy. I stand six foot seven, and I. I'd like to have a good hearty meal or two, you know. <laughs> I, I, you know, thinking of, of, of doing a treadmill, even 10 miles on my treadmill, uh, it's, a, it's not easy. Imagine having to do 10 to 15 miles, pushing everything you have. Mm -hmm. Not only that, but you don't have much food to eat. Now, I know that, that the pioneers were smaller than I am. And I was, I've been a giant back then. But the, the journals show they were rationed one pound of flour for the day. One pound a day. That, uh, I don't know if you can see that very closely, but that's a pound. I measured out on my scale at home. That's one pound of flour. Wow. That uh, probably, as you make it, you know, put some water with it, you make a nice little scone in your frying pan. One scone per day, that's all they had to eat. And then, towards the end of, you know, they didn't get the resupply trains. Right. This was cut down to even half or less. Mm -hmm. So imagine trying to survive that rigorous 1,300 miles with that much food. That's criminal. To it me. is. It's absolutely it wrong. And they couldn't take more food than they, they could only take so much on those little hand carts anyway. Yeah. They, they, they weren't able to have all of their clothing and their provisions, their food, their bedding, their, you know, uh, everything that they needed. They in were those rationed hand carts. 17 pounds of personal items. You know, on their handcarts. That's and they had to be weighed out. Mm -hmm. uh, they made sure the weight was all right before they were allowed to even get on the handcarts. The food, according to again David Roberts' account, there were a couple wagons that were went along that were ox or mule driven that carried the food. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they had wagons for the handcart companies. Now, what Roberts explains here is a couple things that, that need to be brought out. Brigham got the idea of this, of, of witnessing in the gold fields these, these, these men pushing all they held in wheelbarrows to the gold fields. And they said, well, if they can do it, then why not, you know, why are we, why are we spending $300 for wagon teams for our families? What, what is clear is these, these were rough, rough men that did this. I mean, they, they had guns. They knew how to hunt and live off the land. We're talking about city folk here from England who they saw a buffalo, they didn't have a gun to shoot them. Brigham was thinking that, uh, oh golly, a, a pound of flour would just be the basic because they can shoot their game and live off the land coming across. They, they didn't have that luxury. They didn't have horses to go ride and shoot, shoot and look for game. They just didn't have the means. They were city folk. Yeah, and they, they actually had to shoot some of their own animals for food yeah, as, as they, they gone, went. which of course kept them from being able to use all of the the traveling uh, oxen that they could have. Well, you mentioned in, in some of your notes that Brigham Young preached that the Mormons weren't receiving visions and blessings because they weren't sacrificing enough. Would you explain what kind of sacrificing he's talking about and why we know he was fleecing the flock? Well, good question. There's, uh, there's a, a song, a hymn, that's, that I sang as a, as a Mormon quite a bit. I played a lot the piano and and that in, in the church meetings. It's praise to the man, and it goes something like this. Sacrifice brings forth the blessings of heaven. 
And then it says, earth must atone for the blood of that man, meaning Joseph Smith's blood, not mm -hmm. Christ. Right. But the whole central theme is sacrifice is, uh, brings forth the blessings. And this is, this is what Brigham Young began to do immediately, seeing that you know, the whole sermons that he gave about this were saying those who died weren't righteous enough to make it. Isn't that awful? They weren't, they weren't, they'd, their hearts weren't right. They were, they were murmuring. They were complaining too much. This is, he actually compared it to the, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Those that have died that didn't make it out, they weren't supposed to be here. These are the, those are the tares. We only want the wheat, the really good ones that have the intestinal fortitude to, to, to survive uh, this, this arduous sacrifice. This was all part of the 1856 Reformation. Which we're going to do on, on, yes. a, on a later show. But on Matthew, in Matthew 9.13, Jesus said, he said, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Yes. That's what Brigham Young should have reached out to these people with mercy rather than demanding such sacrifice for the almighty dollar. The central theme to me of Devil's Gate, the book, uh -huh. is, first of all, the church had the money. Okay? Yes, they did. That was very clear. You know, I can yes. understand maybe if you're at the end of the, end of the trail and there is no funds to buy wagons, then maybe you make due a necessity. But they paid in advance. They, they had these contracts that you've already talked Absolutely. about. Absolutely. They had the money. Brigham Young's personal wealth at that time, uh, many, many historians have proven he was a very wealthy mm -hmm. man by 1856. He had a personal wealth himself of $150,000 plus. Easily would have covered that. Mm -hmm. it was, so it, it, it's not a matter of, of necessity here, sacrifice right, by necessity. Right. So, yeah, there's... There's a legal term that I think applies here. It's called reckless endangerment. Mm -hmm. If you, again, do your own homework, listeners and viewers, reckless endangerment is a felony in today's modern world. If you apply the same criteria for, you know, for what uh, modern society has placed on the cruise ship captain, that happened to go a little bit. He wasn't quite up to what he should have been and, and wrecked this cruise line. He's facing as much as 20 to 30 years in prison for reckless endangerment. Mm -hmm. And his wasn't premeditated, wasn't premeditated putting the money in his pocket for the yeah. fares. Like he, he didn't Hens profit. Was. He made a mistake. Right. He, was, he, he, he caused the death of people. But no, Brigham Young knew, knew the risks. Mm -hmm. But he said, well, again, uh, the second part of reckless endangerment in a felony, you have to have a disregard or a, you have to not have a value on human life. Mm -hmm. Wow. You talk about not a value when he, in the same year, 1856, when he starts preaching blood atonement. You know, he comes out and says, if, <laughs> if you want to save your brother... Kill him. Shed his blood. Mm -hmm. That's another part of the Reformation that most modern Mormons and uh, fundamentalists really don't have a 
That's right. a, a, a picture about doors. That, that's exactly right. Uh, before we take our, our break, um, there, they, there were people who actually saw the danger and warned them against doing this you, uh, and taking off in such a long journey and so late in the season. What happened to, and uh, there was one in particular, what happened to him? The best example for this, again, is, is uh, outlined in the book by, by journal entries by a man named Levi Savage. Wow, he, he was a, an outdoorsman. He, he, is, he had been a missionary. There is a, the, an older picture of him, Levi Savage, in his elder years. But he, he indeed, uh, he had been across the plains himself. Mm-hmm. He had been across those high steps, that high desert land of, of Wyoming. He knew what it was like in September. It could be very dangerous. So he knew the danger. He was only one of four in the whole Willie Handcart companies according to the book, that had ever made that trip across. And he was probably the most experienced of all. Mm-hmm. So he stood up, and they had, a, they had a conference at the end of the tracks in Florence, um, Iowa. He was asked to give a, a, a talk because he was a captain. He was set apart as a captain of one of, the, of mm-hmm. the company. And he gets up and he says, I strongly advise against leaving this late in the season. We should stay here. We should spend our time building some some uh, shelters, winter here, and then start again in the spring early to go across. Mm -hmm. He says, if you don't uh, listen to me, you can very well find yourself in two-foot drifts. Uh, It's very very dangerous. He was, again, the the leaders of that time said, well, this is divinely inspired by Brigham. Right. What are you doing saying this is dangerous? Yeah. So he became a pariah and was absolutely beaten down because of what he said. Yeah, he was rebuked for it. And he came and he said, well, if you refuse to listen to me, I'll be there with you. I'll suffer with you. I'll freeze, and if I need to die with you. He went along with them. Mm-hmm. And that's, well, what a hero that Well, uh, yeah, and he story. was probably a big help, too, because he, he was experienced in this, and so yes. it could have averted some tragedy, perhaps. So they didn't listen even to the warnings uh, that people that knew about it, they were going to do what they were going to do. And they were walking. We have to remember when these bad storms came, most of them were on foot. They were walking. They couldn't get out of the snow. They couldn't climb into the wagon for shelter. By the time they, they hit Wyoming, again, imagine uh, less than a pound of flour. They were, they were just worn physically down. Mm-hmm. The cold hit them. Uh, my goodness, it was, they just had no physical strength to push on anymore. There was none left. Uh, so they were stranded. And, you know, it has to be said that, that when word finally did get to Salt Lake, Brigham Young did initiate a rescue uh, train. But, uh, golly. Is that too it, much, it, too little, too late? Too little, too late. <laughs> it, it, it saved quite a few people, but um, it shouldn't have ever happened in it the first place. It should never place. have happened. It didn't need to happen. Uh, Annie Eliza Young says in her book that one-sixth of them survived. Right. And some of the Mormon spin that I've read said one-sixth of them died. <laughs> they twist, they turn that around. Yep. Uh, we're going to open up our phone lines now. Uh, if someone would like to call in and join in our conversation, our discussion, we'd love to hear from you. Our phone number is 801-973-TV20, 801-973-88. To zero. Remember that you need to turn your TV volume down when you're on the air and also that we will um, disconnect anyone who yells and screams at us or who doesn't allow a two-way conversation. So right now we have our message for you. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. 
This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. You are welcome to join us in our monthly support group, Life After Polygamy, where you can meet others like yourself who are searching for answers about polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism. We meet monthly in the Salt Lake City area. For more details about time and place, call us toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. We want you to know that we've made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. There you will find the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, Recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to the show. We are discussing the Hancock tragedy of the 1856 and the Willie Martin companies with our um, guest tonight, True Ott, as we go through the book Devil's Gate and uh, some of the uh, avoidable uh, situations that took place in early Mormonism and this Hancock tragedy is certainly one of them, one of the worst tragedies in all of immigration history. Uh, uh, before we take our call, we ha do have a call waiting, but before we take our call, you wanted to bring out especially this point, and I think it's a very important point to make, and that point is Mormon works versus biblical grace. Why doesn't surviving, now you talked about Brigham Young saying those who didn't survive didn't deserve to survive because they were tares. Why doesn't surviving <clears throat> a cruel marathon like this uh, save the soul of the survivors? What's that got to do with it? Does it have anything to do you with know, it? You from know, a, from a Christian standpoint, now <clears throat> that, I've, that I've left Mormonism, that I saw, saw where it was wrong and came out, when you understand grace and the difference, it's night and day difference. As a Mormon, I was brought up, you know, you have to be perfect. You have to do everything, work, work, work. You have to do your home teaching. You have to, mm -hmm. to, to be perfect in every way to, get the, to gain the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Where it's just the opposite, you know, so you have to sacrifice your time, 
they ask you to sacrifice your money. Good heavens, you take a, uh, an oath in the temple to sacrifice everything, if asked to, mm -hmm. to the church. Mm -hmm. The church, the church, <clears throat> see? Right. When it's, the reality is the sacrifice, the biggest and greatest sacrifice of all time was given by Jesus on the cross. Already done. It's already done. You just have to just accept it and say, enter my heart, and it's there. It's not, a, it's not some kind of a, a, a religious uh, uh, grand experience on a stage where you get hit upside the head by a preacher. Mormons don't understand that. It's, it's it's your heart one-on-one -on -one, you accept the sacrifice that's already made you don't need to, to sacrifice to bring forth the blessings of that's heaven right, it's that's so right. so reversed so wrong it, it so is opposite. reversed and and somebody said i believe i've said this on the show a couple of weeks ago that that they believe that we have to sacrifice for god and for the kingdom but christians and biblical christianity god sacrificed for us right. it is a total turnaround so when you when you you know uh, we had uh, this great series uh, in Main Street Church. So we, you know it's it's are you a, a fan or are you a follower? Yeah. Are, are, really are yeah. you? You know there's a lot of fans of Jesus Christ. Absolutely, they may put his picture up on the wall and look at him and and say you know this and that. But you know when you really take it upon yourself to be one with him and be a follower. Then you then you're going to start sacrificing a little bit too. You but you sacrifice for the truth. Right. After you tell the truth. And, and in today's world, Doris, telling the truth is a revolutionary <laughs> event. People will hear this show tonight and say, look, why are they talking such hate? Mm -hmm. yeah, they're hateful. They hate the church. They hate, 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 hate. Hate becomes their byword for, for truth for exposed. Truth. Exactly. That's what happened to Jesus, isn't it? Exactly what happened to him. And so if you're one with him and you're following him, take up your cross and tell the truth. Tell the truth, because right. That's my message tonight. You know, if you're truly Christian, don't be afraid of telling the truth. My name really is true. That's not a nickname. <laughs> that is my name. We didn't it's on my birth that, certificate. Unlike somebody in the Oval Office, I have a birth certificate <laughs> with my name oh on my it. God. We better okay, stop better the stop politics that. there. <laughs> okay, let's take a phone call now. We have Robin calling from Salt Lake City. Hello, Robin. Robin, turn down your volume. Okay, I have, I'm not. I don't have my TV on. Okay, what's your question? You're on the air now. You guys talking? I don't understand why you're so bitter towards the Church of Jesus Christ. I think we just talked about that. We're just talking about the truth, a true history of of Mormonism. I know, Robin. but just like you were um, quoting scriptures. You... Turn your TV volume down. Ma'am, it is off. Well, there's something in the background that's feeding back to us. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Like the scriptures that you quoted, Matthew 9, verse 13, uh -huh. we didn't read the full scripture. And my family is from England, and they did come over in the handcarts. But they, not, they did suffer, but it wasn't because of their decision to come. They, were, they wanted to come to Utah to be a part of the religion yeah, as it we was know that. up. And... People. We know that. So that isn't our point, Robin. We, we know that, that people came because they wanted to come. I regretted that handcart journey. Well, what about the, what, 247 that died? Yeah. Uh, they didn't have to die because of a bad choice. They regretted that dirt journey. No, they don't regret that. Have you read any 
our journals where they regretted it. Oh, yeah. No, the families loved it, and they, were, <laughs> they would not. Well, we better give you some books to read, then, from journals of people who <laughs> no, did not. No, you don't want to hear other people's <laughs> opinion. You just think yours is the best. We just told you we would give you some books of other people's opinions, and you don't want them. They're not, they're not the truth, though. Just like <laughs> you guys are talking about all go. these things, like you're how, blaming polygamy how, on the church, and we don't even recognize. You started it. Joseph Smith started polygamy, Robin. But do we? Nowadays, yeah. the church does not believe or condemn. They believe it. Ooh. They believe in it. They still believe in polygamy. I know that polygamy. you guys are brought up in polygamy, and you're bitter about that. Oh, really? Let me answer. Let me answer, Go, Robin. please do. Robin, uh, <laughs> you need us to turn up, to open your Doctrine and Covenants to section 132, my dear. No, we're going from the Bible, No, sir. no, no. You, yes, you say that you, the, the church doesn't believe it. They <laughs> most certainly the do. the Bible, the not the doctrine. We're talking about the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenant is in addition to the Bible so in the, our faith. So the Doctrine and Covenants means nothing to you? No, I'm saying you guys, I'm going from what you guys preach is from the Bible. And the Bible does not uh, condone polygamy. Well, we don't condone it either. Joseph Smith did. Joseph Smith did. Brigham Young did. Wilford Woodrow did. John Taylor did. Joseph Again, F. Smith not did. Heber, it now, Heber Grant it? did. So, so, so you're saying Brigham Young and Joseph Smith were false prophets. Is that what you're telling us? No. We're talking that they're human, and they... It, oh, it's a human factor, oh, no. Robin. It was a thus saith the Lord factor. <laughs> well, look at your parents. What's, so they were wrong. Yes. Your parents gave yes. you birth and a life. Yes, they my were parents wrong. were wrong, because God did not tell them to live polygamy, and they said God said to. So they were wrong. But my parents didn't believe in polygamy. No one in my family um, participated in polygamy. They came over from England, and they journeyed over, and they suffered, just like everybody else. No life is going to be without heart, heartache we're, and sacrifice. Robin, we're going to close this conversation with this right now. We were talking about needless tragedy when Brigham Young did but not fulfill his contract. We have another call coming in, Robin. Good night. Okay, Jeremy calling from Provo. Provo. Hello, Jeremy. Yes. You're on the air. Hello? You're on the air, Jeremy. Okay, hi. Hello. First off, uh, Deborah, long time no see. I'm a big fan of your show. Hello, what? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Jeremy, what's your question? Okay, um, yeah, I actually have a question for True. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, I, I have to say I, I love your mustache. Um, also like the green turtleneck. I don't know if that has anything to do with it being March, but it's funny. Um, I also like how you accessorize with the jacket. But uh, my question is, um, from what I understand, is it true that fundamentalists also have to wear a mustache? Okay, that call's over. <laughs> I think that's, uh, we've had a callers is in the past that call up and, and they say, I love your tie, and then they'll say something stupid after that, and they, don't, oh. they just want to take up air time. Yeah, that's what it's all about. And, you know, Robin's, uh, Robin's call is, is, is important to, to look at because, again, that's, 
that's the the persona that's that we're trying to bring out here. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all rosy, all when they loved it, they 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 gloried in it. You know, Southern Utah University has a, um, a bronze statue to to Miss Unthink, who's who suffered, lost her feet, etc. So it's yeah. glorified. She glorified in it, and that's a, another big myth that's brought out in this in this this again objective historical reference by David Roberts. He went back to the, the historical sites, now church-owned and run in Wyoming, and went and be, was a part of some of the, the Utah wards that went and re did the reenactment. Mm -hmm. Went along as, you know, knowing the truth that he had, again, journals, historical evidence of journals. He went along, and, and this is in the book, he makes notes of what was said there. The big, one of the big lies, and I'm going to say it, it's a lie was that nobody apostatized from these companies. That is a big oh, it's, lie. Oh, it is a big lie. Huge lie. Many did. When soon they hit Salt Lake That's and found right. out what was happening with polygamy, they couldn't wait to get out of Dodge. That's right. That's okay? right. And though so, that handcart tragedy, uh, it might be faith-promoting to people today, but it wasn't faith-promoting for most of the people who had to go through it. They were lucky to survive that. They were. Okay, we have Bob calling from Provo. Hello, Bob. Yes. You're on the air. So I uh, was happy to listen on the TV until you finally came online. What did you say, Bob? Yes, uh, I, you know, I'm a convert to Mormonism. Okay. And so I get a little different view. Uh, the thing that's troubling me with what you're putting forth is there's a Christ stood on the Sermon on the Mount, and there's uh, what... Christ said, you know, in chapters 5, 6, and 7 regarding to what he had to say, and um, they, they say, you know, watch out for the mote in my eye when you've got a beam in your own eye. So when I, 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 I traveled, and like I say, the trouble, one of the problems I had with the Protestant faith is no matter what part of town I went to, the preacher had something different to talk about. What's that got to do with our with our show tonight? You're breaking up. Yes, yeah, you're breaking up too. <laughs> okay. Well, what does this have to do? You're covering things. I researched what you're talking about tonight, and I don't hear you quoting any scholars. One of the things that I like to do. We is are quoting, look sir. The credentials of the professors and so on that have studied and come up with this. We and sir, we don't so want to. Examples already been accepted in the Library of Congress. Sir, 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 listen. We don't study people who talk about what happened. We study the journals of people that went through what happened, and they are but the ones that know. All do you want of the journals are the ones that came through. And stayed because, you know, it, like I say, when you look at uh, Matthew 7, it says, By their fruits you shall know them. And I cannot find any other Christian faith <laughs> in the world that has as much fruit as the Mormon church does. Fruit? Fruit? Yeah. You mean lies and obfuscations? Yeah. Did you, did you read uh, the, the Salt Lake Tribune article today about the denials of the blacks and the priesthood? Uh, you know, come on, there is so much, so much lies and misrepresentation coming out of Mormonism, it's just unbelievable. And besides, I have a friend that was the mission president to the Congo. I have another friend that was the mission president and the temple president to Ghana. 
So, so you're saying that we are prejudiced against blacks when we have so many people down there in the black summit? I talked to the black summit, and they love the church. Uh, Bob, we're going we're gonna to disconnect this call, and we'll answer your question. <laughs> no, we'll answer your question, but this the call, phone call is breaking up too bad, and so we'll answer the question and then go to our next caller. There's a, there's a lot of, of African people that have, that have listened to my radio shows and to my blog who have... Uh, found the truth of, on this issue, and when they really studied what Brigham Young mm-hmm. said and mm-hmm. others concerning the blacks, uh-huh. when the Book of Mormon itself, Bob, was changed from a white and delightsome skin being a reward mm-hmm. to a fair and delightsome skin, the whole central theme of the Book of Mormon is simply racist. you obey the prophet Nephi and Lehi, if you murmur against him, you're going to be cursed with a dark and loathsome skin. Uh-huh. It's, it's there in the Book of Mormon, Bob. Read your own book. And Brigham uh, Young and all the other new ones said it was a curse of Cain. We've, we've had the, 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 the proof is in the history of the Mormon church itself. And the 1978 revelation, so to speak, by Spencer Woolley Kimball, sir, was because the time was running out on President Carter's executive order demanding full racial equality in religion or they would lose their nonprofit status. So look into your own history before you call us names. And as far as uh, the, by their fruits you shall know them, that's talking, the whole context there is talking about false prophets. It is not talking about any church or religion, but we will know false prophets by their fruits. Doris, and we certainly can test the fruits of Joseph Smith. The, the fruits of this perpetual immigration fund to save money Divine revelation, Brigham Young said. Right. The fruit of it is 247 dead people along That's the trail, the sir. Mm-hmm. That's the fruit of the handcart revelation, of the fruits, fruits of a fall prophet. Amen to that. Okay, we have Ray calling from West Jordan. Hello, Ray. Yes. You're on the air. Turn, turn your TV volume down, please. Hello. You're on the air, Ray. Okay, thank you. Can you hear me now? Oh, yes. Okay. Thank you for your program. I really, really enjoyed it. I have ancestors from England who used the handcart company, too. My brother and I are going through boxes of information, and I can't wait to hear their testimonies of no, what happened. That would so, be interesting. Um, thank you so much for bringing this to light. And the more I learn about the Mormon church, um, the more disgusted I am. Oh, my. My question is, uh, did any of them stay in Iowa rather than come across the plains? And uh, Yes. Yes, many did. many did. Uh, again, you got to remember that a lot of the the emigrants that came by by the ocean voyage and into the trains, when the time they hit the end of the under the tracks, we're talking about a lot of people that were that were not well. There were a lot of older people, a lot of of uh, young mothers, and they just realized that they had uh, they didn't have a wagon. They really couldn't physically even walk, let alone push a handcart. So yes, the answer to your question is yes, quite a few did. And the exact numbers are, are there and again in the book by David Roberts. And if you want a scholarly, again, uh, the book is called Devil's Gate, Brigham Young and the Great Mormon Handcart Tragedy with David Roberts. I think he's very, very fair and objective. He gives both sides of the story absolutely well done. He's not anti or pro anything. He just tells the story story. as a historian. You draw your own conclusions from his book. Okay? Okay. uh, 
did that answer your question? It does. I think I will read it because of my ancestors. And I left Mormonism about 11 years ago, and so grateful I did. Good. Thank you for your Good. program. Uh -huh. Thank you for Thanks calling. Thanks for listening. Okay, we have an off-the-air question. Why do you say that Joseph Smith is a false prophet? <laughs> we don't have enough, enough time for that. We, that's a whole show. <laughs> but in, in, a, in a nutshell, I'll tell you why, and it's in second, the second article of faith. I had a, an ongoing discussion with a, a, a gentleman who I grew up with in, in my home ward in Nevada. The second article of faith is simply says what? If you're, if you're growing up in Mormonism, you have to pass it off when you get to be a 12-year-old or on a priesthood holder. And I never forget it. It says, we believe that, that man will be... Uh, the second, the second uh, uh, article of faith is basically says that, that, there was, that man must be saved by his own works, not by Adam's transgression. That it denies that there was ever a, a fall. Mm -hmm. okay? if, there's no, if Adam didn't transgress... And the fall doesn't affect us today, as the second article of faith clearly says. It's obvious. There is no need for a redeemer. And, there is no need for a savior. And the Bible says we are saved by grace, not by works. So there's no really no need. So, so it's a false so prophet. That second article of faith, to me, is why Joseph Smith is a false prophet. Mm -hmm. Because he denies Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Then it becomes, he's just an elder brother. He's a brother of Lucifer. Yeah. There's no need for this uh, saved by grace discussion. Right, See, exactly. That's the, that's the false prophets. Plus he had over 50, I've got a list of over 50 false prophecies that he actually did give. And one false prophecy, according to the Bible, according to God, one false prophecy makes a false prophet. And the Bible says, don't listen to him. Don't pay any attention to him. Another question off the air. Uh, the, someone is responding to our phone call. The LDS do believe in polygamy can, because you can be sealed. If you're a man, you can be sealed to more than one wife in the temple ceremony. And that is true. That happens all the time. Men are getting sealed to multiple women in the temple constantly. They still do believe in polygamy. And it's very clear, too, the section 132, you cannot achieve the highest degree of glory, the celestial kingdom, right. without polygamy. It's never been erased from the Doctrine and Covenants. Right. It just blows my mind how people like Robin can just ignore that's still part of the central pillar. Mm -hmm. And there wouldn't be, there would not be a Warren Jeffs and a fundamentalist group down in Colorado City without Joseph section. Smith, Section 132. That's exactly right. So the Mormons do believe in polygamy. They don't practice it physically like the, the polygamy groups do today. And that's why there are polygamy groups today because Joseph Smith said it was an everlasting covenant. Brigham Young said you must live it or you would be damned. And so the polygamy groups say, okay, we are followers of Joseph Smith. We'll do what he said God said to do. Now, the Bible does not say that polygamy is something that is required for salvation. And so, therefore, they contradicted what the Bible teaches. And, therefore, we can only say God did not say. He never did condone polygamy. Although it was lived in the Bible, He never, ever commanded it.
Well, we're getting to the end of the show. We have a caller named Ralph. Ralph, would you leave your message uh, with the operator, and I can call you back after the show if you'd like. Uh, True, I want to thank you for coming again. My pleasure. Uh, we, we start up a hornet's nest tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we usually do. And we are planning on doing a show on the Mormon Reformation, Reformation uh, which also will probably stir up a hornet's nest. <laughs> you know, the Bible, Bible repeatedly and dogmatically teaches us that eternal life is a gift of God's grace and mercy. And according to the Bible, the term being saved means that we are being rescued from God's wrath, and God's wrath is an eternity in heaven. We are commanded to obey the gospel, and that simply means to believe it, to receive it, to trust Jesus alone for our eternal life. Trusting in our church or in anyone or anything else is disobeying the gospel. Refusing to believe that Jesus already did it all for us is disobeying the gospel, and there will be no excuse to God on Judgment Day. Claiming that you never heard the gospel, that it was too difficult to understand, won't be an excuse. Claiming that you thought that works must be added to his grace will be unacceptable because Jesus did all your works for you. The true gospel is easy to understand, simple to believe. Jesus said in John 6, 29 that the only works we have to do is to believe. All religious leaders who force a burden of works on their membership will have much to answer God for because they drove people into hell through their works rather than allowing them the freedom to choose eternal life through grace alone. The worst tragedy of the handcart disaster is that so many people followed a false prophet and a false gospel to their death, neglecting the truth of salvation by grace, but treated it as if it were by works and sacrifice. That's the eternal tragedy. Stop working for eternal glory and turn to Jesus and receive his mercy and grace and then thank him for the simplicity of his gospel and for his free gift of eternal life. He already did all your works for you. It doesn't get better than that. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.